If you have a Bible, open it up to 2 Timothy this morning. We'll be in both chapters 3 and chapter 2. I've got quite a bit of text to look at this morning. This morning, I would say, is more of a a teaching than a preaching. If you don't know what the difference is, I yell more when I preach. I talk more when I teach. This morning's more of a teaching than a preaching. We're going to look at these passages of Scripture, and and we're going to see some important lessons that I think will help us as we continue to walk forward as a church family. What we've been doing in this series entitled, This is God's Church, and we have this week and next week, and then we'll wrap this series up, is we have been looking at some false churches or false houses. That's the terminology we have been using. We derived that from Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6 and also Isaiah chapter 66. Uh, God asked the question, what kind of house will you build for me? And we just t- took them seriously and said, okay, well, what kind of house, what kind of church will we build? And so we've been looking at some false houses. We looked at the natural house. We looked at the historical house. And we looked at the powerless house. And then we saw the antidote to each of those, uh, which were not respectively, but they were uh, to have proper doctrinal foundation in Christ, uh, to have both a doctrinally sound and an experientially rich faith, and to never surrender, or I'm sorry, to, to never uh, not be willing to surrender our preferences for the sake of how God is moving right now. So that's what we've been talking about. Today, we're going to talk about the church that I think Jesus, um, his most aggressive response was against this type of false church. In fact, there's a terminology that has even slipped into Christian vernacular as a response to Jesus's response against this church. It's the term righteous anger. You've ever heard the term righteous anger? Uh, It it comes as Jesus responds to the type of church that we're going to talk about this morning, and that church is the corrupt church, the corrupt church. And we're going to talk about how the church becomes corrupt, uh, not because we are a corrupt church, but um, because we want to avoid the pitfalls that can happen. And as we talk about this corporately, we're also, uh, or I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit can, can talk to you personally about how he would want to make sure that your soul doesn't become corrupt in this way or in these ways. Corruption can sneak in easily and it can sneak in quickly. And the enemy loves to use corruption to corrode the soul of the church or the soul of the individual. And so uh, this morning, we're going to look at the motives first, and then we're going to look at what Paul lays out as what our response ought to be to not let corruption of our souls or corruption of our church take place. I would say that this teaching is, is uh, more about not what we're dealing with presently as a body, but more as we continue to go, how do we clear away any of those things that could contain an uncontainable God that could end up stopping what God wants to do here? And by learning these lessons now, we'll call them pre-lessons, by learning these lessons now, if those things ever come up, we'll know how to just get them out of the way. Or we just get them out of the way now so what God wants to do doesn't get derailed. It can just keep moving. So there's a moment in the Gospels where Jesus shows up at the temple. You might be familiar with this story. And there was a lot of uh, money mishandling going on. 
And Jesus comes up, and you've probably heard this story, and he just starts flipping things over, and he gets pretty angry, and he, he says, you've turned my church in, uh, into what it ought not to be, my temple, my house, is the phrase he uses. And, uh, and at the heart of it, it was a financial corruption in that particular case. Throughout the rest of the scriptures, particularly what Paul is hinting at here, we begin to see either a doctrinal or how uh, Paul hints in 1 Corinthians at a moral corruption. The Old Testament leader, Nehemiah, um, wept and, and prayed and fasted when he saw corruption enter into the children of Israel. And so this idea of corruption, and even the word is often used, associated with these moments, uh, has a way of sneaking itself into the life of the church. And maybe you yourself have, have survived or escaped from a, a corrupt environment. Uh, of course, my point today is not to point out any one place or any one denomination or anything like that. My, my point today is for us to arrive and to see some truths and principles that will help guide us. Because as we see in the story with Jesus, and as we see here uh, in, in these stories, that when corruption takes place, when corruption takes place, it destroys. It hurts people. And we don't want that. And so we want to learn this morning. Let's first talk about the motives, okay? Uh, the motives that, 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 that creep in or that sit underneath this type of corruption, be it a church or an individual, okay? Uh, actually, before I hit that, let me say that, that corruption can happen at any and every level. The, the, like the organization itself can be corrupt, the leaders can become corrupt, or the congregants can become corrupt. And so everybody has a role to play in this one. Now, here are the motives that, that sit underneath this. I just read the passage to you. You write, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and on and on. I don't know why he slipped disobedient to their parents on there. Probably for one of you middle school students out there, right? Repent. Come back to Jesus. That means obey your parents. All the parents said? You're welcome. Okay. Let me, let me sum all of that up into three passages real quick, okay? Or, or three uh, motives that, that seem to sit underneath. The first one is pride. Pride. Corruption begins to break in when pride is present. And where pride is present, there is no ability then for that person, that entity, or that group of people to be told that there might be something inside of them that is wrong. And when pride is present, then corruption seeds can begin to be planted, I mean, this can happen in our own lives. If, if we're never wrong, if our perspective has never been incorrect, if, if everyone just needs to see it our way, then pride has taken over and a corrupt soul will follow. The second motive that seems uh, to sit underneath all of this is, uh, I'll, I'll just call it self-serving. I'll summarize it like that. And that can be uh, in many different ways, uh, self-serving for power, self-serving for, for personal glory, self-serving from a financial perspective, self-serving um, uh, from, from a lot of different angles. And, and just what happens is the organization, the leadership, or the congregants just become very self-serving in nature. What's in this for me? Like why I'm doing this for me uh, or the organization uh, comes self-serving in nature when it says like, like we don't care about the individual congregants, we care about the entity as a whole, right? It comes self-serving. Uh, 
The third motive uh, that is underneath it, uh, um, Paul hits this one twice. This is the one I'm going to hit the least, but I do want to point it out. Um, we see this in, with both these guys named Janus and Jambres, who opposed Moses. And it said they did that because they could have never arrived at truth. Uh, in the first passage that Josh read during worship, it said that the other two guys, Hamanus and Philetus, right, that they swerved from the truth. And, and so the, the, the third motive that seems to sit underneath corruption is when you can't decide on what truth is. Like we see this in other facets of our society now, right? Like where you can't decide what truth is or what the standard of truth is, like corruption tends to take over. In our own lives, when we can't decide or arrive at truth, uh, these are, I'll call them pendulum swingers, right? Like you're here once, and then you're like, woo, nope, now I believe this. And if you're ever in, a, in, in an entity or a church where like, like truth is always constantly moving, like you get whiplash trying to figure out what you believe. And do we believe this or do we believe that? Today we're this, today we're that. I've watched friends of mine throughout the years from a doctrinal perspective, they were here then they were here, then they were here, then they were here, then they were here. And then I'm like, I don't even know if you're still Christians. And they made it all the way back around the circle. And I was like, hey, how are you? And then they just kept rotating around. Very tricky. And what happens in all of these is, is the, the soul or the mind begins to be corrupted. And then when this happens in an entity or a church, then corruption, the corrupt church begins to happen. Now, most of the time, I will say, and this is the reason for this teaching this morning, most of the time, corruption is not the intended target. Like most people don't start something and say, what, a, what I'm really trying to do is start a corrupt organization, right? Like unless like you're a Bond villain, okay? You, you, you don't normally start that way. It normally starts, but then there's these like little shifts over time. Even when Jesus got angry and flipped over the tables, like, like if you study the history of it, there was... There's some buildup to that moment. Corruption, normally, a corrupt soul even, is normally not like one big decision. It's a lot of little ones. That's why it's really important for us to talk about this. Because the opposite of a corrupt church is what? A holy church. An opposite of a corrupt person is what? A holy person. And oftentimes, what corruption will do is it will um, make us diminish sin, It'll make us ignore the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean the Holy Spirit from like an experiential worship perspective. I mean like the Holy Spirit, like speaking into your heart. Okay? And what we want to do here uh, this morning is, is talk about how we can all avoid that. Now, what I want to talk about uh, um, first is some of the stuff that sits on the outside. I've talked about what sits on the inside, pride, uh, um, um, self-serving, okay, can't arrive at truth. That's what sits on the inside. How does this begin to look on the outside? And I, I speak these just to um, be a way of reminder and also because you might be able to point some of these out in your own life. The first thing that happens is this. We begin to protect reputation over integrity. This might be the reputation, our own reputation. This might be the reputation of the organization. This might be the reputation of the leadership or, uh, or in just your own life. And, and what happens is it, we almost like create this like ends justifies the means type of an environment. Like as long as I'm doing the right thing, it doesn't matter how I'm doing it. God, as long as we're accomplishing the right things in your church, it doesn't matter how we accomplish it. 
Going back to the story of the temple, God, as long as we provide a pathway for people to get their, their sacrificial lamb, it doesn't matter how much money we make in the process of them getting their lamb when they walk into the temple. And what the whole like anti-corruption parts of scripture are teaching is that God does care not just what we do, but how we do it because it's his church and it's a reflection of his character. In the same way that God cares about how we operate as his followers who bear his name as disciples, not just about what we do, but what is underneath and how do we do it? Holiness. And so that's the, the first thing. And, and what can happen in the church is, is like you, you can start seeing this in subtle ways when, when we begin to like elevate talent over character. It's like, well, you know, they can sing, so I don't care what their life looks like outside of this. I don't even know if they're a Christian, but hey, great voice. Right? Or, or, or uh, other ways that this begins to, to happen in the church is... The, the church will justify just about, and then we have to watch for this in our own lives, just about any type of like uh, concealment or, or secretive uh, um, nature in order to protect what we're trying to do, right? And we'll say, well, you know, if we, uh, if we do this or if we do that, then that might hurt what God is doing here. And so let's just conceal and eventually what can happen is like, just like a culture of concealment can creep in. By the way, when this happens in our own lives, the corruption of our souls begins to take place. Like we're not to live concealed lives as followers of Christ, closing ourselves off from the Holy Spirit or closing ourselves off from those who love us and know us. And the church should not follow suit by like concealing. You know, and oftentimes, men is what we'll do is we'll sacrifice integrity for the sake of the mission. Sacrifice biblical integrity for the sake of what we're trying to accomplish. This is when corruption then has taken place in the heart. Second way this begins to happen, or we see this happen, uh, is, is we as individuals or as an organization, the church as an organization, can get very, very money-focused. This was the specific one that you saw uh, Jesus flipping the tables over. Um, I guess you didn't see it that I said, that I spoke about. This is uh, why Jesus was flipping over the tables, right? And, and what can happen in the entity uh, or, or the leadership of a place, it can become very, very financial focused. You begin to make appeals for money that aren't really needed. There's a misappropriation of funds, right? You, you over-focus um, uh, over on money simply to continue to fund the thing. You, you um, even twist teaching in such a way that will compel people to give more right? There's a, you know, every opportunity to meet is an opportunity for you to open your wallet, right? And, and it becomes this way very financially. And if you look in, it's like, it seems like everything just kind of revolves around it, around money, right? Second, third thing that happens is the environment itself just becomes very self-serving, and again, this could be from a leadership perspective. This could be from an organization or an individual perspective, or this is maybe how you know if corruption has crept into your own soul because everything becomes very self-serving. It's all about, well, what's in it for me? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm here at this church because I want to know what's in it for me, right? Stephen, you've been talking a lot about the corporate church and that really doesn't do a whole lot for me, so I'll come back when you start preaching to me again, right? 
And, and so what happens is this kind of self-serving nature begins to creep in and, and we show up or we, or we are apart and we're all just thinking like, how does this fuel me? How, how does this help me? What's in it for me? Or leadership can do that. Like the whole thing, the whole game, the whole church thing is just about like, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for the, the leadership or the staff or whoever it might be? Or the entity itself actually becomes like this overarching thing and the entity itself will like sacrifice people for the cause of the, the brand. And at this point then, corruption has like really played itself. It's played its hand and, it, and it's gotten deep. It's gotten deep. And these are some warning signs like maybe your soul has become corrupted. If all you're ever thinking about is what's in this for me, if you have gotten too driven by money and everything's revolving around it, if you've uh, gotten so concealed that no one can come in, not even the Holy Spirit, right? Because you're hiding. Now, the results of all of this, by the way, from a corporate perspective is this, that corruption or the corrupted soul or mind will begin to breed other corruption. And so when corruption's at the top, it will bleed its way through. And it will begin to corrode your own soul when you sit under it too long, right? Um, or uh, or uh, it, when corruption breaks into just your own, what happens is uh, the weight of it, and oftentimes what happens when, when, when you begin to be corrupt in these ways is it'll just get heavier and heavier and heavier. And what that'll do is cause you to shift and shift and shift. The other um, consequences of this, particularly from a, uh, like a, like a corporate perspective, is oftentimes what any outsider would look in at the entity and say, that's not right. That's like abuse, right? Oftentimes when, when, when corruption is taken over, those very things happen within the context of the church, or, and at the worst, they're even like celebrated. And the world would look in and say, this isn't right. You can't operate like this. But, but, but corruption is crept in and you don't even see it anymore. It's broken in. Like sometimes, I think even like as Christians, we can operate in such a way and even outsiders, like non-Christians, will look in and be like, is that, is that how you're supposed to live out your faith? That can't be right. Like there's no way that's right, right? Like they, that can't be right. But, but corruption has crept into the soul that we don't even see it anymore. Other things that begin to happen is, um, and this is maybe where it's most painful, is the emotional and spiritual needs of people searching for a healthy church family end up getting squashed to satisfy the selfish desires of self-serving leaders. And so people like show up and they're like, man, I want to be a part of something healthy and I need something healthy. And what they don't realize is when corruption is taken over, right, that, that, that like when somebody shows up, it's really about, well, how, how can I use that person to serve? How can I use that person to advance what we're trying to do here? As opposed to like, I wonder where this person's at right now. I wonder how, how this, per this person's here searching for hope, searching for truth, searching for this. And they just become like a, this pawn in this game of chess that they didn't even know was being played. Now, this is like the depth of corruption, okay? And, and again, all over the scriptures, Paul and Christ warn against this. And I'm talking about it this morning because it is one of the things that can most derail the church from accomplishing all that God would want it to accomplish. I mean, all you have to do is Google over the last 10 years corruption in the church. 
you're going to find plenty of hits to keep you busy. Don't even do it because it's not worth it, right? Don't do it. I'm just saying you could. And it derails the movement of God. It derails what he can do in your own heart. It derails what he can do corporately. And so we, we teach today on how do we avoid this path. Well, Paul gives us really good instructions, really good instructions for the individual and really good instructions for us as a collective whole, as a church. The first one is this, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. What are these things? These things are the gospel. Paul, oh, another translation says, continuously repeat these things. Continuously repeat the gospel. That part of what we have to do as followers of Christ and as a church and as leaders in a church is always return to the gospel. We always have to go back to the gospel and let it break into us again. If you ever get too old or too mature for the gospel, then corruption will soon follow. If you ever get to a place where the gospel through the Holy Spirit can no longer come in and break down what's inside of you, if you have too much pride built up or too much love of your own self to let the gospel break in anymore, then eventually a corrupt soul and a corrupt mind will follow. And so as leaders and as a church, we always have to go back to the gospel. We have to keep running back to it. And, and, and every week and, and every day, I say this all the time, the reason I always talk about, you know, read your Bible and pray every morning, I have to do that to my, for myself because it's the only way I know how not to become a corrupt person. Like, I, I, don't, where, I don't know where I'd be in a month if I walked away. And so I go back every day, right? Because I'm like, God, I want you to just keep anything that pops up inside of me that, 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 uh, that smells in any way like self-serving or any way like pride or any way uh, uh, like these things. Like, I, I just want to sweep it away as soon as it pops up. I want to get it away. I don't, I don't want it to have a chance. And so as a church, we always have to go back to the gospel so that if anything were to come up, we just sweep it away. And you do, to go back to the gospel and just whew, let it go. Second thing we have to do, uh, we see this down in verse 20 and 21. It says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is honorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. That's the opposite of corrupt, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I'll talk about the result here in a second. But the second thing we have to do, we return we, we to the gospel. Second thing we have to do is just be ready to repent. Ready to repent. And, and, and at the heart of corruption is a refusal to repent. At the heart of corruption in an entity, at the heart of corruption uh, in a leadership group, at the heart of corruption in your own life is a refusal to repent. Because if you're in relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit will prompt what needs to be changed in your life. And if you're willing to submit to the Holy Spirit in that moment and to repent and to allow him to change you, then corruption will leave and holiness will stay. And so there just has to be this constant, like, I return to the gospel, I let it speak, and then when it does, God, I repent of this. Like, there's this self-serving idea, and maybe it, you didn't even, like, feed it at all, but it popped up into your head, and then you, you fed it a little bit. For, like, five or six seconds, you started thinking, like, okay, maybe this, and maybe this, and then maybe this, and you just got to pluck it out. So, God, I don't want my heart to go that direction. I don't want to start daydreaming about that. I don't want to start thinking like that. I don't want to start talking like that. I don't want to start doing that. I gotta, I'm, I'm 
I want to repent, Lord. And you just clear it away. And see, what happens then when, we, when, we're, when we're always being reminded of the gospel and when we're always willing to, to repent then, that whenever any of these seeds that can breed corruption, um, whenever they come up, then we just we get rid of them. And instead, what we do then, because I think every time we return to the gospel and every time we practice this type of repentance, what happens is the gospel gets deeper inside of us and our aversion to anything corrupt of soul and mind will grow stronger will become more repellent to him. i say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Next thing that uh, Paul instructs us here in this is um, we have to, let me see how I said it here in my notes. We have to learn how to responsibly handle conflict in our own lives and as a church family and church body. Fortunately, up to this point for five years, we've had very little conflict, okay, which is awesome, like praise God, uh, but there will be conflict at some point, and we have to learn how to responsibly handle it. This is part of what then what preserves the body, and so learning these lessons now helps preserve us when we, uh, when we approach those in the future, and here Paul instructs us how to do this. By the way, this is helpful for your own life, I promise, you learning how to do this. Paul says it this way. First, he says, so this will be all kind of under the header of responsibly handling conflict. First thing he says is, so flee youthful passions. Flee youthful passions. What are youthful passions? Youthful passions are, is that like desire in you to always have to be right and to win? That ambition that says, I must win no matter what I do to you. I will win. And I will, uh, I will, the organization will win. And so when corruption takes over the organization, it says the organization has to win and winning looks like more people and more money. And so we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that's the case. Or for winning for you might mean, um, I just have to be proven right. I have to be proven accurate. And Paul's like, just get rid of that. That's youthful. Move on. Move on. It doesn't mean you're not standing for truth when it's like an absolute truth, Right? But it, but it is saying, because where he goes to next in this is he says, I have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. What he's saying is this. Don't get so caught up in petty fights that you allow it to divide. A good advice in every relationship we have. Reagan was watching Peppa Pig the other day. Reagan watches Peppa Pig every day, let me clarify. And I was listening to her. I was stretching while she was watching Peppa. It was so sad because Peppa and her best friend, the donkey, got in a fight. I know, very sad. Reagan was in tears. I'm just kidding. She went crying. Um, and I'm sitting there like listening to Peppa, you know, and her friend go at it and why they weren't best friends anymore. And they got to the end and they looked at each other and said, we'll be best friends forever, Right? And I'm like watching this like 30 second Peppa Pig go. And I'm like, there's like three really good doctrinal points here, Peppa. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and so here's the thing. Conflict. This is true in every, every part of life. Conflict always creates one of three things. Always. More chaos. More chaos. Conflict hits. Chaos ensues. The relationship's over. The, whatever. Or Complacency. Conflict hits and you go, all right, we're just, I'm not going to say anything. 
And then over time, what happens is that complacency settles in and there's either an eruption or an exit, right? There's an eruption or an exit then when you go complacent. Or, or it produces greater commitment. And you get through the conflict, right? And you get through it and you're like, man, I'm more committed to you than ever. We're going to be best friends forever. And we're going to make it. We're going to make it through. We, we had conflict over this, but then we worked through it right and biblically. And so now I'm more committed than I ever have been before. I do not want this to be a prophetic statement. Someday conflict will arise in the body. It's an inevitable path of humanity getting together and in, in increasing humanity. And in those moments, hopefully I can look back and go, hey guys, remember when we talked about this? We remain humble. We let the Holy Spirit, we go back to the gospel. We handle it correctly. And guess what? We can be more committed to each other than ever before. And we can be more committed to the cause than we ever have been before. And so Paul is teaching here, individual follower of Christ, corporate, church, handle it well. How do you handle it well? He keeps going, by the way. So he says, first off, have nothing to do with the foolish, ignorant, flee youthful passions was number one. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies was number two. So like, don't argue over petty stuff, right? Oh, by the way, around here, what that means a lot of time for us is like, we're not going to argue over petty doctrinal differences, okay? And uh, I say it all the time, we, we, are, we, we, we are like a post-denominational church, like most of you have left a denomination and showed up here. Okay, and now we're asking the question, can we forge together around core doctrine and not fight over the things that people have fought over for about 250 years? Can we do that? One of the ways you do that is not by getting into ignorant, foolish controversies. So 23-year-old Stephen had to learn this lesson because there was this like doctor, I was a youth pastor at the time, I got this like, you know, nice size youth group or whatever, and I learned this new doctrinal trick, right? And I was so excited about it. And so I had these kids over and we were talking about it and we're going through it and they're getting all fired up and then they're bringing some more kids and they're getting fired up and some more kids and they're getting fired up. And then about two weeks later, I get this phone call from my boss, actually my boss's boss, who was the lead pastor of the church. He was like, hey, can you come into my office? Sure. He's like, uh, the other two elders will be there as well. It's like, oh boy, okay. So I show up. They're like, what are you teaching the high school kids? I was like, the Bible, Right? Insinuation being the way I understand it is the obvious, accurate way, right? And so I sat in there and we talked. One of us was wrong. One side was right. I was the wrong side. And I learned in that moment how these little doctrinal differences that we just stake our lives on can end up causing such a problem. Good lesson to learn at 23. I'm glad I learned it then because now we can apply it now. We can walk in this unity and handle conflict well. Next thing he does, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And then this leads us into the third, my fourth point. He says, correcting his opponents with gentleness, because God may perhaps grant them repentance. The fourth thing we must do is this. We must always restore gently and correct gently. 
that the opposite of the corrupt heart is, uh, is to almost in anger, anger or almost rooted in bitterness or vitriol to respond harshly to the person who doesn't agree with us or to respond harshly to the person who has messed up and to not apply biblical love and gentleness and the biblical pathway on how we correct what is wrong. And so as a church then, to avoid corruption, what we must always do then is to correct and restore gently and rooted in love. Sin happens. It was happening in the church in Corinth. And it was happening in such a way that Paul looked and he said, this is like disrupting the whole body. It's corrupting the whole body. And this guy's engaging in a sin that even the world looks in and goes, that's disgusting. And the church wasn't doing anything about it. And so Paul comes up and he says, you got to get this guy out of here. It's been a highly debated, like, you know, idea in scripture. And some people actually look at that and they go, this is what I hate about church. Like that idea of church discipline and, and how do you operate it correctly? And on one hand, the church is not operating at the church if it in no way holds people accountable for the life that they live. That's corrupt. Like the church can err on the side of corruption by simply saying, well, we don't want to offend anybody or we don't want to get anybody mad at us. And so everyone just kind of do whatever you want. That's corruption. But on the other hand, it's corruption if when pressed with sin, we handle it in a way that isn't gentle also corruption. And so what then? Then we have to learn how do we do this correctly? How do we handle this correctly? So in 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches us, by the way, how to handle, and we connect this or we lay over it other doctrines, like uh, in Matthew 18, when it's talked, uh, the doctrine about uh, when you see a brother or a sister or caught up in a sin, like how you quietly go to preserve their reputation and try to correct them. And the whole point of all of it is what? Repentance. That's the point. And in the moment where there is genuine repentance, from a spiritual perspective, you're supposed to look and go, okay, we did it. That was the goal. They've returned to the Lord. Repentance was the goal. I'm not saying sometimes there aren't practical ramifications to these things, but what I am saying is that repentance is the spiritual goal. And when you look at 1 Corinthians and you say, okay, when it comes to like this idea of church discipline, what was going on there? Was it the fact that the guy was sinning? Is that why he had to be kicked out? Was it the fact that he was uh, engaged in sexual sin? Was that why he had to be kicked out? Nope. Here's why. The reason that they had to take a stand against it was first and foremost because the guy refused to repent. That's why. It was unrepentant. He, he was confronted. He said, nope, I'm not changing. And then second, he wasn't just unrepentant. He was blatant about it. He's like, not only am I unrepentant, like, I'm going to show up to church. And then third, Paul says, it's affecting the whole body. Why? Because when corruption, sin, begins to take a root in a small way in our heart, it's always going to want more. When it takes a small place in our church, it's always going to want more. That's why Paul speaks so strongly against it. Now, to be the church that Jesus came to plant, then we have to figure out How do you hold people accountable in the appropriate way? And also, how do you do it gently, kindly, in a way that preserves the person, that gets to the right aim, that tells them God has grace for you and wants to see you transformed and changed? This, then, is how you avoid corruption. Now, how do do we do that? Well, let me tell three things 
that always have to be present for you as an individual and then for us as a church, okay? Uh, as, as, I, as I close here. The first is this. We always have to remain open. We always have to remain open. Here's the first way we have to remain open. We always have to keep our scripture and our Bibles open. As a pastor, as leaders, you as individuals and us as a church, we always have to keep our scriptures open and our hearts open to what the Holy Spirit is saying. We can never get to a place where we become untouchable. We can never get to a place where others can't speak truth into our lives. We can't do this as church leaders and you can't do this as attenders. You always have to remain open to what the scriptures are saying, are saying and always remain open to what another person is speaking in. If you show up to church on a Sunday and your heart isn't open, you're not willing to hear. There's very little that can happen here. But when you come open, then the gospel can break in and God can begin to set you free. And then to avoid these pitfalls that we've talked about, the best way to do it is to now set a pattern of always being open, open to the scriptures and open to the spirit and what he wants to do, to how he might challenge each of us. Second thing, in order to avoid the corruption that it seems to be most talked about in the scriptures, okay, which is financial corruption within the church and the temple, okay, the second thing is we have to always remain open with our books. And so I just say this out loud in front of all of you to know what it is that you're getting into. And so what it means for us to be open with our books here as a church has always been that once a year we lay it out and we just say, hey, this is how much we brought in and this is how much we spent and this is the categories that we spent it in and the stuff that is left over because we're good at saving money is going towards these things. And we just make that a pattern that has been our pattern for five years now and we just keep that as a pattern so that you know that this type of corruption we're gonna speak against and we're not gonna let it creep in. It also means then um, accountability in who spends money and how we spend money, which is why other people, lots of people have like, not like lots of people, but like enough people have their eyes in on what's happening. So this can't settle in. And it also means then um, that we frequently tell you guys and remind ourselves as a church to speak it publicly that the first 10% of every penny that we bring in here goes to serve the needs within our church and to serve other people, and to serve our community. And we set these patterns up so that we can avoid these pitfalls down the road. It also means um, that I try at every opportunity to avoid using guilt, obligation, or twisted doctrine to get you to give more. I'm going to give you an example. I texted Frank and Tom Friday of Church Week. I said, hey guys, I'm thinking about taking an offering. What do you think? We haven't taken one all week. We've had a great week. I'm thinking about taking an offering. And they both texted me back and they said, nope, this week has been way better than any amount of money given to the church could, could do. And I said, okay, then we won't do it. I said, we're not going to use these high, intense spiritual moments as a reason to try to drive revenue. This is when corruption begins to take place. And so by setting these things up, opening our lives and opening the scriptures, opening up our books as a church, right? By the way, challenge to you then is for you to open your books up before God, okay? For you to open your own book up before him. And you say, all right, God, it's all yours anyway. How do they look? How do my books look, Lord? How do they look, right? 
That's what stops you from falling into that, okay? And then the third thing, third thing we got to do, um, we always got to remain open to each other. Always got to remain open to each other. Don't close yourself off. Don't allow, uh, don't, don't allow yourself, and this tends to happen with us, particularly guys, as we get older. We close ourselves off. We don't let anyone in. We become the secretive closed off thing, Right? And guys, it's so easy. I know it's true for girls too, but guys, it's so easy then for corruption to begin to take root in our hearts. For us to become self-serving. For us to become lovers of self, lovers of money, whatever it might be. And the antidote, what, is to open ourselves up. It also means that, by, that as church leaders, pastor, and, and some of you maybe, you don't even understand what I'm talking about because you don't have a context for this, but, but for some of you, you might, that, that we must never become or arrive at a place where we're no longer open to the body right? Um, I'm, I'm the pastor, so I don't, you know, I don't have to answer your call. I don't have to, you know, I, I can sneak out the back door, right? That, that as a church and as elders um, and, and as staff and as leaders that we are always open and available. Why? Because Paul calls us galley slaves in 1 Corinthians, not heroes, <laughs> not celebrities, slaves, stewards of the mysteries of God, Right? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't going to be times where, like, like I take Friday off, okay? Like, that's just it. Like, that's, that's for my family. That's for the good of my family, right? Um, and, and I'm not saying there's not, like, certain, like, boundaries or whatever to, to, so that we can all live good, healthy, you know, lives in that regard. Um, but we have to fight against any, like, culture being created here where people become closed off from one another. Now, if we do this successfully, guys through the power of the Spirit, and by submitting ourselves to Scripture. And if you do this in your life, and if we do this collectively as a church, then where does it leave us? Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, all of these things that I have described are dishonorable, all the bad things, he will be a vessel for honorable use. He will be set apart as holy, the opposite of corrupt, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good Work. If you do these things, you will be useful to the master of the house, God, and you will be ready for every good work. And everything we've been doing over the last six months is to arrive at this place where we can say, God, we're not only ready, we're useful. Or we're not only useful, useful, we're also ready. We're both, God. We're useful because we've been trained up, because we're repenting, because we've been taking time in prayer, because we're spending extended time in worship, because we're reading the Daily Dig, and we're letting Scripture break in unlike it ever has before. And so we're becoming increasingly useful, and we're repenting of sin, and we're open to the Holy Spirit's conviction. And not only that, God, we're ready. Like, whatever it is that you want me to do, whatever it is that you want us to do, like, we are ready to do it because we're useful and we're ready. And that's what this whole year has been about, getting useful and then getting ready. And we become more useful. You get rid of all the dishonorable, and you let the honorable plant itself in deeper and deeper. And then as we get useful in this way, guys, you know what God does? He says, get ready. Get ready, because I have work for you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths from Scripture. And I know some mornings, Lord, we just need to be reminded of how to operate as followers of Christ. 
And Father, I pray wherever the seed of corruption has been planted in any heart in here or in any way in our church, that you would uproot it today. Father, that we would be good at avoiding irreverent or unnecessary arguments. That we would always restore each other lovingly and gently. That we would always responsibly handle conflict. That we would always return to the gospel. Not become closed off, but open. Allowing your Holy Spirit to always pull out in us what needs pulled out and to deepen what needs to be deepened. And Father, would you make us increasingly useful for you? May that be our deepest desire, holy unto you and then useful as a result. And Father, we are ready, ready for whatever it is that you would have us do. And so show us the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.